The text for this morning's sermon is 1 Samuel 1, if you want to turn there. 1 Samuel 1, uh, verses 1 through 28. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah, a flower, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there.
Let's pray. Father, I ask that you help me speak forth your word. Lord, that we would find comfort in the type of God you are and the way you work. Lord, I pray that you would humble us, uh, humble us, that we might seek you like Hannah. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder how you feel this morning uh, coming to church. I wonder if you feel confident, wise, uh, encouraged, hopeful, everything's going okay, every part of your life is in control the way you would like it to be, but my guess is you're not that you maybe come here this morning with circumstances that find you weary and weak and needing strength. The title of the message is The God Who Exalts the Humble. And really, that title is a theme that runs all the way through the Scriptures. As we look at First and Second Samuel over the next year or so, we're just going to see this theme front and center. We're going to see the proud Saul in all his humanly wisdom, in all of his stature as a nice-looking, tall, strong leader. We're going to watch him be cut down. And we're going to watch a reject be lifted up before our eyes. And this book begins with a very insignificant family and a very insignificant woman in the eyes of the world in very desperate and ugly circumstances. And we're going to look for the kind of God that the Bible puts on display. We're amazed come Christmas time as we consider the Christmas story. How's the King of the universe going to come? How's the Savior of Israel going to come? What's He going to be like? What line is He going to come from? Joseph and Mary? Not even married yet? Insignificant? Poor? At His birth, where's He going to be born? Who's going to know about it? Are shepherds going to be the first people to hear about the birth of the King? Is all of Israel going to have no clue what's happening? What will He be like when He grows up? What great town will He live in? Nazareth? Is He going to be good looking? Or are people going to despise Him because of His looks? Is He going to be impressive? Is this the one they expected? We're amazed as we look at our Christ. And the amazing thing is, is it's never been different. All the way through the whole Bible. A theme. God 
exalts the humble. He lifts them up. I got good news for you. If you came in here weak, uneasy of spirit, needing to hear about the God the Bible reveals. And next week, we're going to look at Hannah's prayer in chapter 2. And we're going to look at the God who exalts the humble in the big scope of what He's doing. Today, we're going to just dive in to the soap opera of this family and these people who others probably barely know and look at what God is doing at a micro level which puts His glory on display. So, uh, if you were here last week, we kind of did the intro to put us in the context of where we're at. At this point in time in history, we're in the transition point from the time of the judges where Israel is in the, in the land of Canaan, the promised land, but a generation of people who have forgotten the Lord, who are doing things according to their own wisdom, what seems right to them, and they seem disjointed, and there's no blessing going to the nations through Israel at this time. And we're at this transition point from Judges to the first king of Israel which is really the climax that brings us to King Christ in the New Testament. So at this time, when no one is paying attention, let's look at what's happening in this family. Point one in your notes, God does His humbling work in some of the most painful circumstances. Let me add to that. God does some of His most humbling work in some of the most painful and sinful circumstances. The moment when we might think God is gone. It starts out, there was a certain man, or Ramatham, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu. Now get this, the son of, the son of, the son of Zuf and Ephrathai. This family has sons. This family seems to be Somewhat important that they would name the lineage. This man, Elkanah, must have some money to be able to support two wives. He had two wives. The one was Hannah. The other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. I think we can assume here that Hannah was Elkanah's first wife. The only reason why there'd be a need for a second wife would be if Hannah could not have children. We can make TV shows out of this sort of situation. More than one wife. Let's watch this disaster unfold. Can you imagine the pain in this family, all around? Can you imagine? I bet you can. Have any of you experienced part of the curse in childbirth? Have any of you lost children? Are there some of you who cannot have children? Right at the moment of when man and woman sin, their strife, children die, some women are barren. 
Some men seek to keep their line alive by having more than one wife. And we read in verse 3 that this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Now Shiloh is where the tabernacle is. This is where the tent of meeting is. It's not in Jerusalem yet. And every year, Elkanah would take his family and they would go sacrifice there. It was a holiday for Jews. This would be similar to the gathering of the family and having a feast together. And it says, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. We find out later in 1 Samuel these were wicked sons and they were bad priests. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peneah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Literally in the Hebrew, he gave one nose to Peneah. If you can picture sacrificing an animal, the most delicate part of that animal in those days were the head. He gives one to Peninnah and, and her sons. He gives a double to Hannah because he loved her, it says, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously, grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year as often as she went up to the house of the Lord. She used to provoke her. Imagine Hannah on the way to Shiloh. Here we go again. You might be thinking, another Christmas, more family fights, more reminder of the fall, how my life is hard and miserable, and I have to watch my husband make love with another woman and watch her give him children. Imagine it. And many of you can imagine the hardness of life because you and I live in the same fallen world. Dale Ralph David, one of the commentators that I was reading this week, paints the picture of what it might have been like. He says, we can imagine how it must have been. Now all you children, do you have your food? Dear me, there are so many of you. It's hard to keep track of you all. Mommy, Miss Hannah doesn't have any children. What did you say, dear? I said, Miss Hannah doesn't have any children. Miss Hannah? Oh, yes, that's right. She doesn't have any children. Doesn't she want children, Mommy? Oh, yes. She wants children very, very much. Wouldn't you say so, Hannah? Don't you wish you had children too? Doesn't Daddy want Miss Hannah to have kids? Oh, certainly he does. But Miss Hannah keeps disappointing him. She just can't have kids. Why not? Oh, why? Because God didn't let her have children. Does God not like Miss Hannah? Well, I don't know. What do you think? Oh, by the way, Hannah... Did I tell you that I'm pregnant again? Do you think you'll ever be pregnant, Hannah? That's what it might have been like 
going to Shiloh. Can you imagine? All throughout redemptive history before this, the Bible is littered with barren women who are suffering under that. Remember Sarah who married Abraham, the father of many nations? How would you like that? Marry a guy whose name is the father of many nations. You remember how they schemed? Well, why don't you try Hagar? I keep disappointing you. Then Hagar gives birth. Then there's tension. We've seen this before. And wouldn't you know it, Isaac, the promised one, marries Rebecca. Another hopeless situation. For 20 years, Rebecca gives Isaac no children and the promise given to them was this. Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. May your offspring and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. And then would it be that Rachel also would be barren? And we see a cry for God's got to do something. God's got to do something to overcome these childbirth problems. And when God wants man to know that He's about to work, what does He do? He does what only God can do. Only God can open the womb that will not give forth life. So then we read at the end of verse 7, Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, is just like husbands today. (laughs) Some things never change. (laughs) I just had to chuckle when I was reading this because I think I'd be this foolish. He said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) The best thing he can come up with is, honey, you got me. What else would you want? (laughs) It didn't work. It doesn't work for me, and I guess it didn't work for (laughs) her either. after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh. So, wouldn't this be a great feast? Oh, Hannah, I love you so much. I'm going to give you twice as much food as all my sons and daughters over here with Peninnah. She wasn't hungry with all of her extra portions. She's at a low point. This isn't year one. This is year after year after year, the text says. And then it says, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah arose. Now the priest, now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. In these days, people sat on the floor. Only the important sat on seats and he sat on the seat at the doorpost of the temple. Some people think she didn't notice him in her distress. Seems to be that this is where the priest would probably be sitting, that maybe she didn't care that he's there. But what it says is she is deep in verse ten, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Have you ever been there? Deeply distressed, weeping bitterly. Your prayers are your tears. 
Psalm 6, 8 says, Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The world hasn't gotten better since then. We're still fallen. Can you relate to her? Point one is God does His humbling work in some of the most painful circumstances. In this painful moment, Hannah is driven to such a point where she lays it all out before the Lord. She comes before the God who what? Exalts the humble. And then we see, point two in your notes, when humbled, when a person is truly humbled, we seek God's glory and exaltation in our prayers. One of the ways you can know if you're at the point of humility is when your prayers are seeking God's glory, even in the midst of your help. Let's look at verse 11. And here's what she prayed. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. She's not asking for a son to go back to Penina and say, look it. Look at what God gave me. He doesn't hate me. Maybe my son will buy for some of the inheritance. Rather, she prays, Lord, give me a son so that I can give him for Your service. She made a vow to give him to the Lord. It's a Nazarite vow. Most Israelites, when they would vow their children to the Lord, they would only do it for a month and then they would redeem Him by giving five shekels. You can read about the redeeming of the vows in Leviticus 27. But Hannah doesn't do that. She prays that the Lord will give her a son. And she's making a vow that she's never going to come back and redeem this son. You have Him forever for your service. You can read about the Nazarite vow in number 6. A vow where the hair will not be cut. They're given to service of the Lord. Their hair will not be cut. They won't eat from the vine. They won't drink wine or eat from the vine. And they will never come into contact with a dead body. But here we have when a person's humbled, we pray prayers that seek the glory of God and the good of others. It's an amazing prayer. It's not a prayer, God, give me this and then I'll do this for you as though I really want this idol and then I'll give you this other thing. She's saying, I'm going to give back the very gift that you might give me. And then point three in your notes, when humbled, when we are truly humbled, when a person is truly humbled, we pour ourselves out before the Lord or the God who can exalt. I'm going to be honest with you. So I'm asking myself the question this way as I'm reading about Hannah and especially these next verses. I'm wondering, have you ever been humbled? Like Hannah's been humbled? Look at what it says. 
As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. You ever been that broken? Where someone was watching, they think you're drunk. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Eli's sons are wicked. Eli seems to be somewhat of a good priest. He's at least willing to confront a drunken woman and have her consider changing her ways. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am troubled in spirit. I have neither drunk wine nor strong drink. And look at what it says. I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Have you been humbled? Have you been brought to the point where you don't care what you look like anymore? You don't care what people think? You're so broken. You so feel the fallen world that you don't care that you... This is what keeps people from being saved. They're not willing to be broken and fall on their knees before the God who can exalt. And last night as I feeling anxiety in my heart, carrying worries on my mind, studying for this text, I wanted to be broken. To come and say, God, what am I doing trying to hold myself up? Why? What does my Bible reveal? My Bible reveals that God lifts the broken, the empty, the weak. That's who He raises up. Break me, Lord. And so she says, I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all I have been speaking, for all along I've been speaking out of the great anxiety and vexation. She's been speaking out of her great anxiety. When humbled, we pour ourselves out before the Lord. He's our only hope. He is our only hope. Then in verse 17 we read, Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your position, petition that you have made to Him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then this woman, this insignificant woman, Eli doesn't know who she is, went, away, went her way and ate. And what does it say? Her face was no longer sad. She is not pregnant yet. But a broken woman comes before the God who can exalt finds peace. When you can hit rock bottom, there's no lower to go. And then you go to the right place. You can go in peace. And she did. And her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And that's when we read, and Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Which brings us to our last point. So God exalts, the God who exalts the humble 
is our God. And God does His humbling work in some of the most painful circumstances. That's just true. Read your Bible. You'll see it. When we are humbled, we seek God's exaltation in our prayers. When we are humbled, we pour ourselves out before Him. And when we are humbled, we ask God for the things that only He can give. And when He gives them, we offer them back to Him. The only gifts you can give God are what? What what does Paul say? Paul says, what do you have that you have not received? We ought to give to the Lord. We ought to give of our lives. Where does our life come from? Where does our money come from? We give back what He gives to us. The humbled, the humble people go to Him for what they cannot get on their own and ask Him for it, and then they give it back. Let's look at it. Verse 20. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Samuel either means asked of the Lord or the Lord's name. There's a debate. It's, It's difficult to know for sure. It seems like because she says, I've asked for him from the Lord, that the name might mean asked of the Lord. She had a need and she asked God. You know what proud people do? They'll try. They'll figure it out. I can do it. I got a need. I'm not going to ask God. He's probably busy. You know? You want to know what's amazing about this? Some people wrongly read the Old Testament and think that the way people worshiped God in the Old Testament was through ritual and uh, through ceremony and they couldn't go before God with personal requests. Hannah didn't think so. She's a woman who goes before the God who remembers. God remembered Israel and brought them out of Egypt. God remembers His promises. She went to that God. And she asked Him. And then it says, the man Elkanah in all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I'll bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Imagine. I know mothers, you already are imagining. In those days, they would nurse for about three years. And she said, I'm going to... A lot of moms have a hard time stopping nursing because it can be a sweet experience. Can be really painful. The curse is seen in all sorts of pain in it, I'm sure. But the special time is over. Just that special time, though, you still have your child. But she says, once he's weaned, I'm giving him to the Lord forever. Imagine it. Imagine it. I cannot. Imagine it, and yet, look at the beauty of this humble woman. And then verse 24 says, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with the three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. You take your three-year-old child and you bring him to the temple where two wicked priests are running the place. Given to the Lord. 
But she comes with an offering. And she comes with a sacrifice. What does the sacrifice mean? We come in the presence of the Lord only by blood. She brings a three-year-old bull or three bulls. It's difficult in the Hebrew to tell which. Imagine, three-year-old bull walking to the temple. Kill the bull. Blood spills out. Only son given for the service of God. It would be hard to give your only son to the service of God. What would be harder is to give your only son as the bull in service to God, which God did with Christ. God takes His only Son and He purchases my ability to have a relationship with God and be in His presence through His blood. Because His only Son went to service for the Lord. And God, this is what we're going to look at next week, with this family, this soap opera, sin happening family, insignificant woman, God is about to act again in history. Not only for the people of Israel, but for you and I. As God raises this son Samuel up. And then, we read in verse 26, she said, Oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman. So she's talking to Eli. She says, I am the woman standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to Him. Therefore, I lent Him to the Lord. As long as He lives, I lent Him to the Lord and He worshiped there. One commentator considers these questions. As one looks back, how crucial becomes the fact that Hannah was crushed with grief to move her to prayer. For Hannah, this was grievous and personal distress. Yet, in it, Yahweh drove her to prayer through, through which He brought forth a lad who would shield His whole people. God moves our prayers and magnifies their effectiveness. The severe trial Hannah proved to be the severe trial of Hannah proved to be the salvation of a whole people group. Now think of this. Without Peninnah, that might not have been the case. Do we all, do we owe it all to Peninnah? Certainly not. We owe it to God who takes even the smirks and the digs of a, a and venom of the Peninnas and uses them to fulfill to fill a cradle with another kingdom servant, can we not see the wonder of Israel's God? Can we not see the comfort of His people? And then he says, God's tendency is to make our total inability His starting point. Do you feel weak? Feel empty? You feel like... There's no place going forward. Those are His starting points. Our hopelessness and helplessness are no barrier to His work, He writes. Indeed, our utter incapacity is often the prop He delights to use for His next act. When His people are without strength, without resources, without hope, without human gimmicks, then He loves to stretch forth His hand from heaven. Once we see where God often begins, we will understand how we may be encouraged. 
When we are down, He lifts up. Our endings are His beginnings. When we are weak, He is strong. The forgotten ones are the ones He remembers. And out of dead wounds, He brings life. This is our God. This is our God. At the end of Romans 11, after Paul describes some of the most confusing parts of our salvation, God's election, our free will, our needing to trust in Him. Here's how Paul ends it. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of our God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Our God takes the humble and exalts them. This is what He did with Jesus Christ. Philippians 2. We read in verse 8, "...and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, because Jesus Christ humbled Himself, therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what God does. His Son is humbled. He raises Him up. So if you're sitting here today and you know in your heart you have never been humbled before the Lord. You know you've never seen yourself as helpless and hopeless in your sin. I want you to know that you only have one option. And that is to flee to the God who can exalt you. Because you can try to be good enough and you could try to work your way to heaven, but you will fall short. And the good news is, is that the only thing you can do, and God will even help us do, is the very way you will be exalted. Every one of us can fall on our face and cry out to God to save us. And then He lifts up the humble and exalts them and makes them His children. So four quick application points. So what if this is our God? The first one comes straight from Peter's mouth. Here's what Peter would say to us. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He might exalt you. Peter just tells us, to each other, humble yourselves to each other. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that He might exalt you. That's my prayer. I feel so much pride in my heart. I want to be humble. Pray that you would want to be humble. That you might be exalted. Number two, Examine the motives of your prayers. If you're asking the question, I don't know if I'm humble and in a position to be exalted, examine the motives of your prayers. See if they're selfish or if they're God-glorifying. 
Remember what James says? You, you ask, you do not have because you ask wrongly. To spend it on yourself. That's not what Hannah did. Number three, when was the last time you poured out your heart before the Lord? Been totally broken. Let me just read it. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 4.29 But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him if you search after Him with all your heart and with all your soul. You will find this God if you will seek after Him with all your heart and all your soul. And my question is, is have you done that? Have you ever poured out your soul before the Lord? 1 Chronicles 28.9 If you seek Him, He'll be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will cast off forever. Remember Jeremiah 29.11? This might be on a plaque in your bathroom or something. For you know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. The plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then... You will call upon me when, or call upon me and come and pray to me and I'll hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek with all your heart. You want to know where Israel is right now? In exile in Babylon. And he says, you'll come and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. The last application is take comfort in this God in God before desired results have happened. She went away at peace before she was pregnant. And I'm saying, come before your God empty and because you know He hears you, have peace that He knows. Let's pray. Father, You are an amazing God. I thank You that You don't work through important people, strong people, proud people, but You get glory for Your name by giving riches to the poor, bringing life to the dead, cutting down the proud and exalting the humble. God, I pray that we would come to You as this exalting King and fall before You and find peace. Amen.